Uh, it's a happy New Year time. I know it's January, but uh, Christmas and New Year's is my, my favorite time of year. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine just over Christmas, and he has a two-year-old daughter. And he was saying it was so amazing to see this two-year-old daughter of his open up her gifts, and then she would proceed and unwrap everybody else's gifts too. And so it's, it's, a, it's a funny time, especially for kids, because they get so excited about, about Christmas. And when we talk about uh, Christmas, usually the world over, people are passionate about the gifts at Christmas time. And it's one that people get excited about. Uh, even if people aren't Christians, they love to celebrate Christmas. And so the topic of gifts and Christmas is usually one that's, that's really uh, joyful to people's hearts. When you get to talking about the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes that changes. People have different views of it. Sometimes people have experienced pain because of it. And sometimes people just kind of shy away from it. So a big thank you to Ashley, who was reading the, uh, the, the verses today from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we'll be looking, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And uh, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we need to start with some kind of a definition. When you hear the term spiritual gift, what's, what do you hear? So what is a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift is the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to reveal God to other people. Perfect. So you see it there up on the, on the screen. And so it's not something that you and I can produce in and of ourselves. It's not something that we create. It's not something that we just conjure up on our own. It's not a really, really cool talent that we have in and of ourselves. It's a supernatural ability that God gives, that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And so when we talk about the the Holy Spirit, sometimes there are objections that people have historically about them, and sometimes with very good reason. And there's probably a few of them, but I'll just list three of them here this morning. First one is, I saw them being misused somewhere, it freaked me out, and I don't want anything more to do with it. And I think all of us have either talked to somebody, or maybe we turned on the TV one time. And we saw something that said, whoa, if that's the spiritual gift, I am out of here. And so people just say, I've seen it misused, and they throw the whole lot out. The second is that people will say, well, they they died out with the apostolic age. So there's no point for us to discuss them anymore because they were there to kind of get the church going. But they faded out with the death of the apostle Paul and a few others, and now they're just done. And that's one position that many or some very Bible-believing Christians take. I'm not prepared to say that they don't love the Lord. They do. They just take a, a different position than, than I would on that. And their reasoning is one of the issues that I have with it. It goes something like this. The gifts of the Spirit were for then, but we think they stopped then, and so we don't look for them now. And so because we don't see them now, they must have died out then. And so you get kind of a circular logic that goes back and forth that doesn't seem to make a a whole lot of sense uh, from from my biblical perspective of it. It's also very interesting that when you look at it from a a global perspective, there are many Christians in Europe and Canada and the U.S. who believe the gifts of the Spirit are here for today. However, those who don't believe that that they died out then tend to live in Europe and North America. Central American Christians, South American Christians... African Christians and Asian Christians, by and large, have no problem believing the gifts of the Spirit here for today. That's just something interesting for me when I I think about that. Secondly, there was no date given by the Apostle Paul as to when the gifts would stop. He never said, when I die, these things are all going to fall apart. 
He does say that they will cease, but he never gives a date. He doesn't explain when it's going to happen. And so the logical conclusion there would be that they would cease when the Lord comes back and there's no more need for him in that regard. Third, if the gifts of the Spirit are no longer for today, if that's in fact the case, does that then mean that, for example, the fruit of the Spirit wouldn't be for today either? Or is there a menu that we can pick and choose from and look at the gifts of the Spirit and say, well, you know, I'm going to take that one and that one, but these ones I'm going to separate aside. And the challenge with that kind of thinking is that if those gifts, for example, if we were to say, yeah, we can pick and choose here, well, does that then mean that other Christians can take other verses, a list of, say, the sins that the Apostle Paul lists and say, well, those apply today and those don't apply today? So the the encouragement I want to give us is to look at it from the perspective that the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are not to bring division, not to freak people out, not to cause puffed up people who practice these gifts versus others who practice different gifts. But we're going to find in a moment that the Holy Spirit, when he gives the gifts of the Spirit, they bring an incredible amount of peace and joy and comfort. The third perspective that people have is they just ignore them. They say, you know, we're not, we're not going there. We're not talking about that. That's uh, a passage in the Bible you kind of flip over. So it's very cool how you go through very systematically in, in the Bible, how you have this program, and it allows you to preach on these kinds of subjects to talk about issues that the Apostle Paul believed very, very critical. Ironically, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love chapter which is ironically nestled in between two chapters that deal on the gifts of the Spirit. So in all of this, all these questions and confusion and that the church of Corinth was asking these same kinds of questions, they were wondering about all these different kinds of gifts, and I mean, they were in serious trouble. If you read about the church at Corinth, they had a lot of issues. So it's not surprised that the Apostle Paul starts off his discourse by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. He had this, they had the same questions and concerns that we had as well. We had people that were going way off the rails there in Corinth on certain gifts, and it was just causing a lot of confusion. And that's what the Apostle Paul encouraged us, saying, you know, I just don't want you to be uninformed. Let's go through this in a nice, kind, gentle way to figure out what the Holy Spirit is saying. In verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led... I find that very interesting because why does he suddenly shift gears and start talking about idols? I thought he was talking about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, it's like going on a family holiday. You get the car all packed up, and you finally get on the Trans-Canada. And the second you get on there, you turn off down some dirt road, and you go the other way. So why does the Apostle Paul suddenly completely shift gears and talk about idols? Well, to start off, we probably ask ourselves the question, what is idolatry? And there's a couple of ways we can define idolatry. Number one is looking for supernatural help in something other than God. And if that doesn't describe this present age of where people who don't know the Lord yet are, I think that would describe it. There is such a hunger. When you look at what kinds of shows are very popular, by and large, they have very huge supernatural components. It's not surprising that superhero movies do so well. Because they are, in some respect, looking for supernatural abilities. And there's a huge drive for that. So idolatry is looking for the supernatural in something other than God. But it's also, especially for Christians, idolatry is looking for a sense of identity in something other than God. What defines you? 
What defines me? Idolatry goes something like this. I must be well-liked. I must have control over my situation. I must have success in the areas that I want to be in. I am who I am because of the job that I hold. I am who I am because of the college degree or uh, trade that I did very, very well in, mechanic or electrician or anything else. And so idolatry kind of creeps in in these different areas where suddenly our identity in Christ gets shifted over and we find our comfort and our security in something other than Christ. The flip side to that is that idolatry can also be negative. I'm stupid because I never did well in school or I'm useless because I don't have a, a very big bank account or I never accomplished what I wanted to do, therefore there's no point to me really pursuing other things in life. And so idolatry has very, very strange pulls in our life that can push us off in different directions. And so why does Paul bring up idolatry here? Because you can make an idol out of a gift just like anything else. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit gives you a particular gifting, and that becomes your identity. And the focus stops being on the cross It's becoming on the effect of the cross. And the Holy Spirit always points back to Jesus. The gifts of the Spirit are always designed to help us share the gospel with people, to encourage people in their faith, not to freak people out or to be some demonstration of power, but to have our hearts focused on Christ. So he wants to set the record straight. And he repeats that here in verse 3. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And that sets the foundation for everything we need to know about the gifts of the Spirit. It's not about being puffed up. It's not about having our eyes focused and entire denominations get formed around one or two gifts. And so the focus the Apostle Paul is saying is our heart is our true joy, is our true passion for Christ to be living in us and for us to want to share that with other people. And the gifts come along on the side to help facilitate that vision. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. And you notice that the Trinity is present there with, uh, in red, The Holy Spirit is there, Jesus is there, and God the Father is there. So it gives us encouragement that these didn't pass away because just as much as God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus are still as present today as they were then, there's no difference with the gifts of the Spirit being present now. These are tools the Holy Spirit has chosen to use in our modern day. And we have gifts and service and activities, and so we're going to talk about some of those today, some of these different gifts And here he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And here is the wonderful verse, wonderful words as to why the gifts are here. For the common good. I love that term. That is is such encouragement. It's designed to give encouragement for the people around you, people who are close to you, and people whose ministry are affected by you. Where else have you heard the word good before? Well, Garden of Eden, right? Famous passage. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So the same objective that God had in creating the Garden of Eden is the same objective that he has with using the gifts of the Spirit. He wants to use you and use me to make this world, this fallen world, 
very good in the places where we have impact. And it's meant to work in us and to work through us to create that beautiful garden around us of following Christ and of making disciples of people around us. So here are some of the different gifts we'll be looking at today. We haven't got time for all of them, but here's a few of them. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues, and interpreting tongues. So for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Well, what, what is wisdom? How would you define that? So here's a definition. The supernatural ability to see the answer to a problem or situation according to God's will. So it's not like being smart or using your knowledge that you already have. It's supernatural. I have a friend of mine. She's brilliant at calculus. She does these proofs where she starts off with a question and goes through pages of stuff and ends off with the solution. I I took three courses of calculus in university. I still have no idea what it's about. She's brilliant. What does wisdom do? It takes all that proof and writing, puts them together, and starts with a question and goes right to the answer. And you don't see all the steps in between. An example of where I failed at this was when I was in a, a small ministry and we were looking to bring somebody on. And it wasn't a very massive position, so either way the damage wasn't going to be so, so tough. And so six or seven of us got together and we talked about you know, this particular candidate and six of us thought, you know, looks pretty good. We prayed about it. I said, you know, looks, looks all right. But one of the older women said, you know what? I just don't think he's the right guy. We said, okay, thank you. Thank you for telling us that. Can you explain to us why you don't think He's the right guy, right? I made a mistake. I thought, oh, word of knowledge, show me what it is. But it wasn't. He says, you know, I don't know. It just, it's, it's not the right guy. So we ended up hiring the person. Turns out it was a mistake. And fortunately, the damage wasn't too bad. He kind of moved on. And I learned a deep lesson there. That's often the word of wisdom is not one that you can say, well, show me some evidence for that. Your spirit's either in tune or it isn't in tune. And often it's that very still, small voice That just quietly says. So if you have the gift of wisdom, do you have the courage to speak up like she did in a meeting? And do you have the courage to say, look, I I don't have the answers as to why. I just know that I know. The gift of wisdom is wonderful. It can speak into somebody's life and cause them, instead of going off the rails, to speak and to continue down the exact path that God wants them to be on. So there's an encouragement. And is that for the common good, the gift of wisdom? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that to puff somebody up? No. It's just a gentle, quiet, clean word from the Lord that can encourage us to stay on the path he wants us to be on. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Well, what is the gift of knowledge? Well, knowledge is not just your own facts that you could have figured out from the internet or wherever else. Knowledge is the ability to know a fact that you couldn't otherwise have known. Doug was mentioning I'm involved with uh, Charles Mulney. He was a a kid in Kenya. He was brutally abused by his father. He wakes up one morning as a six-year-old kid, and his family's totally abandoned him. He goes from hut to hut begging for food. He gets kicked out of school as he can't afford to be there. As a teenager, he starts a little taxi business. That gets bigger and bigger. And then he branches out to oil and gas distribution, property management, real estate, insurance, This guy becomes a multi-multi-millionaire. He knows the president of Kenya on a first-name basis. And one day, God calls him to sell everything he has, 
to go into slums and rescue street kids. So he brings in one kid, then 10 kids, 50 kids, then 100 kids, then 400 kids on his property. And he hasn't got room anymore. So he has to move them all a few hundred kilometers further to a place where he was going to have his retirement. But he abandons all those plans, and he has the kids there, right by the river, going good. All of a sudden, the Thika River has typhoid and malaria problems. It's terrible. And one of the kids gets so sick and dies. What do they do? Well, they can truck in water, but how do you do that? Because it's so expensive, they haven't got the money to do it. They could move those kids someplace else, but where anywhere in the world do you show up with 400 kids? So he calls the water surveyor and says, can you go drilling? Find me some water here. He says, look, we, we've been here for years. There's no water anywhere here. Brings in other people. Show me. There's got to be water somewhere. There's no water here for miles. He's got a real problem. What does he do? Charles Mulley gets on his knees and prays for days, crying out to the Lord, crying. Finally, late in the one night, God says, stand up. I'm going to show you where there's water. He grabs his wife. They head out of their little tiny home where they live in. Turn left, they turn left. Turn right, they turn right. And they stop, and God says, here, there's water. <laughs> where? There's no water. It can't be. There's water right here. Start digging. So all the big, strong boys, the next day they start digging down. They dig the entire day, and they find nothing. And they're embarrassed for the guy, for Charles Mulley, because he heard something that obviously wasn't true. Charles Mulley says, keep on digging. So he keeps on digging. And at the end of the second day, poosh, they hit this beautiful fountain of water that comes up. And the kids, hundreds, come running, running. Maji, maji, maji meets water. And they have this beautiful water. Ask yourself this question. Was that word of knowledge for the common good? Did that help hundreds of kids have clean water? Did that build the faith of hundreds of people, even for tens of years afterwards now, that people hear that story? Did it puff Charles Mullet? Did he say, you know, perfect, now I got this water, I'm going to bottle it, I'm going to sell it all, I'm going to make tons of money? No. Word of knowledge that God gave to Charles Mullet in our modern day time, a man that's been to Winnipeg, just a regular guy like you and me. Word of knowledge in Acts 27 verse 10, I love anything that has to do with ships, and I love the, uh, the story of Acts Apostle Paul is going to Rome, and he says, look, guys, be careful. I perceive the voyage will be with injury and loss. Word of knowledge. I know a fact that's going to be happening. Did you listen to him? No. What happens? Well, to another faith by the same spirit. So this faith, this gift of faith, is different than saving faith. I'm not talking about the same thing here. It's the same word, but it means two different things here. Saving faith, of course, is faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, that when God looks at Jesus, he, our record goes on to him, and when he looks at us, his perfect record comes on to us. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the gift of faith is the ability to trust God and encourage others to trust God, regardless of the circumstances. You know, these gifts are amazing. You know, you're ever in a situation where it looks really dark and not very good, and there's one person that says, it's going to be okay. Here's what's going to happen. I love that. I just love that gift. So here, Luke is writing, and he's on the ship there with the Apostle Paul, and he says, all hope, they, they encounter that storm, just like he said they would, right? All hope of our being rescued was at last abandoned. They'd given up. And what does God 
what does the Holy Spirit provide Paul with? The gift of faith. He says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Was that for the common good? Oh, you better believe it. Was God glorified in this? Absolutely. They tried all on their own. They couldn't do it, and they looked to God, so their faith is encouraged. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Perhaps healing is the most divisive. Perhaps healing is the most divisive in the body of Christ when it comes to a supernatural gift of healing, and it's one of the main reasons why there are some who say, I don't want anything to do with that. And that's, that's completely understandable. What is healing? Healing is a supernatural recovery. Notice that it's gifts of healing. It's the only gift that has the plural. So why is it plural? Well, there could be a number of reasons. One of them that I see in Scripture is that there's many different kinds of healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual. In physical healing, the background to that comes from Exodus 15 and 26, where God says, I am the Lord who heals you. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. And Matthew 8 and 17. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. In order that was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, saying he took our infirmities and he carried our diseases away. But two stories of both a positive and a very difficult one. Uh, I have a friend of mine, he's... Dear brother, he phoned me up one day. His, his son was at the Health Sciences Center, and he was going in for a surgery, a fairly common surgery, but something went very, very wrong. It was one of the risks with the surgery. We knew it. We thought it was a very outlier chance, but his son was lying paralyzed at the Health Sciences Center here a couple of years ago or so. He's distraught. He phones us up. Our prayer team comes together, and one by one, we're, we're praying for it. It was such a you know, busy time, as you can imagine. He's just beyond his wit's end. And he's lying there paralyzed. And so nothing flashy. You know, it's, it's almost boring when you see it. We just pray for the Lord to restore this, this young boy. A couple of days later, I was talking to my friend. I phoned him up. He says, you know, how are things going? He goes, yeah, doing good. I said, how, how's your son doing? He says, oh, yeah, we're, we're hanging out. He says, okay. So you're, you're at the hospital there? You're talking? No, no, we're, we're home. Said, what do you mean you're home? I was, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're here at home now. Well, how, how are you at home? He goes, oh, well, he, he just got up and he walked out of the hospital. He says, well, how did that happen? He goes, well, you guys came and prayed, and then they got up and walked out, and the doctor checked him over and filled up the form and says, the medical release states we don't know what happened, but he's fully healed and done. I was just like, oh, it was amazing. You know, it's just, it was so nonchalant. It's like, like I said, like it, it's almost boring when we do it. It's just so, it's so, it's just very quiet. Another dear, dear friend of mine, he, uh, he and I played, so he, Doug was mentioned, I went to Maple Leaf School out in North Cay, and my, my buddy and I played soccer together a lot there. And uh, he had this bleach blonde hair. Like when the sun shone, it was like almost blinding. Uh, it's so funny because he's bald now, but back then he had tons of hair. And uh, he, he left and with different things, and he came back to Winnipeg, had this wonderful wife, and she got sick and had cancer. And it was devastating, and we prayed, we prayed so hard. And then he texted me from the hospital saying, you know, she, she's gone to be with the Lord. So I went back. I went to the hospital immediately. I stood there with him, saw the body there, was with him, prayed with him, and continued to pray for him and his kids. Right? That's devastating. 
So, so what's the answer? What's the answer there? You know, the one friend, that, that guy was paralyzed. I can show you the medical records from it. The other one is not. So there's a challenge because what happens is people say, I don't know how to put that in a box. I can't make it concrete. And this is one of the reasons why I think the gifts of the Spirit are is frowned upon by some people because you can't reproduce them on your own. And the challenge comes to say, am I willing to trust God? Am I willing to walk with God when the question marks are still there? Because the encouragement we have is that all of all the questions we have, we know that one day God will take those question marks, pull the ends, and make them into exclamation marks. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But I would rather stay in the spot where I say, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I can't understand why that person did or did not. But I sure am not going to condemn a guy whose wife passed away. I'm not going to condemn it because that's not from God. I'm going to say, look, I don't know. I love you. I love his kids. I'm still praying for them to encourage them. And we move forward in that. So we should be encouraged with that. Emotional healing. I have friends of mine. They're in a ministry. All they do is pray for people who've been abused in one way or another and have suffered terrible emotional pain. And the Holy Spirit comes and he transforms these people from being absolutely devastated. Some of them are are great functioning people, but they've got this huge hurt in their life and the Holy Spirit heals them of that. Is that cool? Is that the common good? Does that help the common good? Does that freak people out? No. Is that, is God being glorified? Absolutely. Does God want us to be whole from our painful past? Absolutely. Because he takes those scars, he heals us, but those scars are ones that we can use to help other people. You know, the Bible talks about us being comforted so we can comfort others. How can we help somebody who's going through a difficult circumstance if we've never been through it ourselves? And of course, spiritual healing, right? The biggest one, the most important one, that God wants every human being restored back to him and that God's put people in your life and in my life to do that. A few more and then we'll close. To another, the working of miracles. While working of miracles, the ability to perform signs and wonders to give authenticity to the gospel. Here's a couple that I love from Scripture. You know Paul, he strikes bar Jesus blind in Acts? So miracles sometimes, it's the only one where it's not always good news. I mean, it's being blind, that's brutal. Remember Moses uh, does the Red Sea, right? Is that a great miracle? It is. It's really good for the Israelites, really bad for the Egyptians. These working of miracles are powerful things. And not all the gifts are handed out at the same time in the same measure. So then the proconsul did what? They believed. So the working of miracle there was not to just explain or push God's power, was to encourage people to come to faith. And of course, Tabitha, Peter raises Tabitha. And what happened because of that miracle? And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many, what? Believed. The miracle is there to help people to believe. So to close off the list, and we don't have time to go into them, but to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Prophecy, Agabus, right? He predicts a famine is going to come. Prophecy is both 
foretelling, but also forth-telling. Foretelling where you say, this is what's going to happen in the future, but forth-telling. Prophets didn't just go around saying, hey, you know, next week this is going to happen. Hey, next week too, that's going to happen. They're forth-telling, which is, this is who God is. This is the greatness of our God. And as you read the prophets, they talk a lot about revelation of God. Distinguishing of spirits, so vital, especially in church functions, to hear and to recognize, is that from God or not from God? We had that with Ananias and Sapphira. Boy, they paid the price for that. They came in saying one thing, and Apostle Peter says, uh, no, and they paid a huge price. And great fear. What happened because of that? Great fear came over everybody. It wasn't a punishment to just get to hammer them. It was to heal the body of Christ. And tongues, maybe healing would be second place. Maybe tongues might be first place for division. There's different ways to interpret that. Some people view tongues as a heavenly language. Some view it as being able to speak a foreign language. And and those interpretations are available there. The important thing, again, with gifting is we never take our eyes off the cross to say, you must have this kind of a gifting or you're not a real... I mean, it's just... It's so far out there. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. Jesus is Lord. Keep our eyes focused, our passion focused on the cross and allow the gifts of the Spirit to come into our lives so that we can share Christ effectively with people around us. Share Christ effectively with people around us, with the the nature that you have. Some people are big extroverts. Others of us are a little quieter. And God uses us both. We don't have to, you know, go way off the page on stuff. And interpreting of tongues, of course, is alongside of that. So to close off, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And we close off with the question, you say, well, okay. So if I'm willing to believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, which one do I have? How do I find that out? And here's the fascinating thing. It's not by seeking the gifts of the Spirit that Jesus shows up. It's by seeking Jesus that the gifts show up. Our focus is Christ. Our passion is Christ. I mean, look at this world around us. Oh, it's at how blind people can be to the gospel. And so as we chase the gifts, everything kind of falls apart. What What does the Bible say when Peter's walking on the water and when Peter saw the... Wind, or the waves, depending on your translation. And you start sinking. No different. No different here. When you start looking at the gifts, oh, wow. They all start sinking. But as we keep our passion and our focus on Jesus, he will bring things into our life to help us to bring the gospel, to share the gospel with people. Maybe it'll be a water miracle. Maybe a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. Maybe you'll be praying for people and you'll see them recover. Maybe they'll be praying for people and they won't recover. You're going to walk alongside them and encourage them and be willing to wait for that day in glory when that question mark becomes an exclamation mark. Let's close up in prayer. Father, we love you. We, uh, we worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who died and who rose again. Help us, Lord, to keep our ears attuned to you that if you're looking to give us a word of knowledge or any of the other many different giftings that you have, that we'd be open to hear you, Lord. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.